0: For that nod to the older folks among us. When you have to put your glasses on your nose like this, that's a real sign that you've passed a certain point. It's my privilege to be able to share with you today and to open uh, the scriptures with you, and I'm trusting that it will be a time of blessing and encouragement. Let me comment again before we do so that uh, these little bags of ashes are going to be significant at the end of the message today and I'll give you some instructions about that. Also you're going to find a little bottle of oil when we uh, do this and I'm going to ask you to drop off the ashes representing your old life and pick up this little bottle with some oil and glitter in it representing the oil of gladness or the new life that we have in Christ. So we'll come to that after after a bit. We're in this series uh, about Nehemiah from the book of Nehemiah uh, entitled Renew, Rebuild, and Restore. And today's message is About the opposition which Nehemiah and his team experienced when they began the building of the wall of Jerusalem. If you're not familiar with the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the temple after uh, the destruction of Jerusalem at that particular time in history, and the terrible experience that that city went through, uh, it was a a terrible judgment which came upon that nation. And the book of Nehemiah is about how there was a vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And when you read that book, and we'll read a few uh, verses this morning, when you read that book, you realize that God really loves his people and that he, in spite of his strong hand of wrath against them, made provision for them to return and to rebuild and to restore what had been broken, broken down and taken from them. So let's uh, take a moment to pray over the scriptures this morning, shall we? Father, we thank you because you have given to us the word of God, which is powerful. And it goes so deep into our spirit, into our inner man, that we are able to be changed by it. And so today I'm asking that you would speak into our hearts, cause our experience to be positive, one of change, one of forward motion, one of understanding how to overcome the opposition that comes against each one of us. So let there be a blessing today in the word of God to every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To so The key verse for this series is Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is God's promise to every one of us. Every person who has come into the knowledge of God has a work which is begun in their life. And this scripture is the promise that that work is going to be fulfilled and completed, which is, of course, the likeness of Christ in our life. God is going to see that this work is completed, and we are wise to commit ourselves into his hand and allow him access into every area of our life So that He can do the rebuilding work that's necessary in our life. We're looking at this series in the book of Nehemiah because this is how God works in all of our lives. The story of Nehemiah is this historical account of how God used one man, Nehemiah, to bring hope, restoration by helping them rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It had been destroyed decades earlier as a result of God's judgment upon his people. And I'd like you to remember that Nehemiah was not even born then. He, he did not personally experience this terrible judgment that came upon the city of Jerusalem. And that's really another story to talk about and a very powerful one at that. But this is a man who came along who... God placed a vision in his heart while he was the cupbearer to the king of Babylon. And he opened his heart to do something that was at that time thought impossible to do. It's in this wall building process that we see a picture of the way God renews and rebuilds and restores our lives After our own sin and disobedience. You do realize that most of the destruction that happens in our lives are a result of our own choices. They are often a result of our own choosing. And in spite of that, God comes with his grace and his power. And he offers to rebuild out of the rubble of our own lives a tremendous witness and glory to himself. Let's look at this scripture in the book of Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1 through 16. I'm going to skip a few verses but I'll let you know where they are. But so it happened beginning at verse 1, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Now, Sanballat was the governor of the area, and he was opposed to any activity that was going to secure the city of Jerusalem from his authority being able to be imposed upon it. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish and stones that are burned? Now, Tobiah, his sidekick, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. <laughs> These two guys are a case, aren't they? Here they are, not knowing that they are about to come up against battle against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Here's a couple of guys out in the desert, and they have a few people gathered around them, and they think they're going to interfere with God's work. They're not the the smartest cookie on the shelf. In the next verse is Nehemiah's prayer. Now, Nehemiah is telling this story and repeating what they're saying. But then in verse... uh, In verse... um, for he, he says this prayer to the Lord in the process of, of writing this. And I have to say, Nehemiah had a questionable motive when it came to this prayer. Because he said, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Verse 13... Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your horses. Sorry. (laughs) Maybe I'll try this box after all. I thought it said horses. (laughs) All right, I'm going to get this up where I can see it. All right, so he's fighting for his family is the point of it all. And his, his possessions. And it happened in verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us. And that God had brought their plot to nothing. That all of us returned to the wall. Everyone to his work. So it was in verse 16. That from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction. While the other half held the spears and the shields, the bows, and war armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. This is a great picture of how the enemy tries to discourage us and prevent the rebuilding of our lives. In the book of John, chapter 10 and verse 10, the scripture says the thief, the thief does not come except to kill and steal and to destroy. These are warnings to us in Scripture that the enemy is going to do what he can to prevent the rebuilding of your life. As I look out through the crowd today, although I can't see everyone's face, obviously I can't see the word houses either. But I, I'm aware that in this room today there are people whose lives are in the process of being rebuilt. You've come from a place of difficulty. You've come from a place of hurt and pain. And you already know that the enemy has inflicted upon you certain damage in your life. And this is what he does. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This is what we're facing in this world. This is the system since the fall of man that the enemy has been about trying to depreciate and trying to keep us from becoming God's people in the way that God has wanted us to do. Now I'm aware that also some of you are not too... Excited about this idea of the devil. It seems more fanciful than reality. You think about the devil as in a play where he puts on somebody puts on a red suit and there's horns and, and a pitchfork, and that's what you think about the devil. For others of you, you may give the devil too much credit, and you see a, a, the devil or a demon behind every bush or every person. Neither one of those is a good position to be in. The scripture gives us a very clear idea about what we should do regarding the opposition the enemy brings our way. C.S. Lewis uh, described these two different perspectives in this way. When he said there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence... The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. In the scripture, it gives us the, the clear truth about That Satan or the enemy of our soul is the embodiment of everything which is hateful and heinous and hellish. He is the chief spirit manipulating the violence of men and the viciousness of disease everywhere in the world. If you want to really understand what Satan is like, then you need to see the body of an emaciated child that's starving to death. That's the work of the enemy. You need to be able to witness the human carnage which is inflicted by a terrorist bomb or by some attack which is perpetrated upon innocent people. We see it on our television screens almost every day. That is the work of the enemy. That is satanic. That's what hell is up to. And we need to recognize it clearly, and not be afraid to name it. But this morning, I want you to know that same hell is at work against you too. Every single one of us, in one way or another, have been burned by the schemes of the enemy to try to destroy us, and it's left its mark upon all of us. You've heard Pastor Ross say, and Brent as well, that our family experienced divorce a number of years ago. And it's a story that we're willing to tell. But when they refer to it as our family had a a divorce, that's the voice of the children speaking, if you will. But I'm the one that went through it. I'm the one who experienced that traumatic experience over 30 years ago. Now, not to say or diminish the effect upon the children that divorce has because it certainly is obvious in many lives. But those of you who have been through that path, you know what I'm talking about in the ripping and the tearing and the difficulty, the attacks and the accusations which come. But here's the truth I want you to hear from me today. It's found in the book of John chapter 10 and verse 10, where Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. So Jesus Christ came to wipe away that mark which the enemy sought to perpetrate on my life and the life of our family and upon your life as well. Jesus came literally to cross it out by the power of the cross. Jesus comes and forgives and saves, rebuilds and redirects the potential of our lives. I want to tell you this brief story. I was so decimated because I was a pastor at the time. It was very public and wounding. And so I thought to myself, life is over. there's no more opportunity for me." And one day I was riding along in the, my parents' car who had came to pick me up and we were traveling across the country and I was sitting in the back seat. We were driving across the expansive, wheat fields of Idaho and I was having those thoughts about how devastated my life was and how impossible it was going to be to have influence for God and for good and while I was riding across there the Lord spoke to me and this is what he said there's a great big world out there And you have a part in it. I want you to know that that is the power of the cross that makes that happen. And it can happen for every one of you. Let's look back for a moment to Nehemiah chapter 4. Where Sanballat and his friends are bringing us a picture of the kind of opposition that you might expect after the Holy Spirit begins his rebuilding work in you. Just when it seems like things were progressing for the Jewish people and the walls were up to one half their height, this group of people began organizing this conspiracy against them and trying to mute Nehemiah's leadership. The plan of their opposition was threefold. To intimidate, to demoralize, and to defeat. And in verse 11 of this chapter, it says, Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. That was the enemy's plan. This was serious opposition, a serious threat. They wanted to stop the rebuilding process. They didn't want to relinquish the control of the Jewish people's lives. And so there are four methods that the enemy tries to remove, which we can draw from this story. The first of those is that he reminds us of our weakness. In verse 2, Sanballat says... What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? This is a mocking statement. It isn't directed necessarily to the Jews, but to his friends. He's trying to to gather support. He's saying that these Jews are too weak to build the wall. They'll never be able to fortify themselves. And here's the lesson for us. Don't let the enemy remind you of your weakness when his real concern is his loss of control over your life. We have not only the power of the cross in our favor, but we also have the truth that the Spirit of God has come to dwell in us. He who is in you is greater than who is in the world. We have that confidence that Jesus who lives within us is greater than any opposition that we face. We must learn how to silence these attacks. We may be able to say, I am not strong, but I know the one who is. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We must learn to confess our weakness so that we might take on the strength of God to overcome the obstacles that stand against us. When the devil reminds you of your past, what do you do? You remind him of his future. <laughs> When the devil reminds you of your weakness, you remind him of God's power in you. The second method that we see out of this story is that the enemy attacks our worship of God. So he says again in verse 2, Will they offer sacrifices? Now, Sanballat knew very well that when the Jews... Worship the true God, real power was generated in their nation. This was self-evident. But his focus was trying to belittle their walk and their witness. Because the walls were still lying there in rubble pretty much. And the liberty of the people to go and come was threatened. And they were the laughing stock of the area... But what's the message for us? It's this. Have you ever thought to yourself when you walked in these doors on Sunday or some other time for worship, you say to yourself, who do you think you are to come to worship? You call yourself a Christian? How can you be a believer acting the way you have? God isn't going to listen to you. You'll never qualify as a real worshiper. How often have you conceded to those thoughts? You've withdrawn from worshiping him with freedom and confidence. You have to understand that the enemy wants to attack your worship and keep you from worshiping with a pure heart. James 4, eight: come near to God and he will come near to you. You can silence his lies with this truth. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This is kind of my sweet spot, worship. I love to worship. I like to worship loudly. Now they make fun of me around here for that. I, you know, sing out loud sometimes at the wrong time. My wife's standing by me going, Would you be quiet? Everyone's looking at you. And when we get to a family gathering, what happens when we're sitting around the living room? That's right, they'll say. A long time ago I learned how to get worship out of here into here. There's only one way that worship gets out of you and that's through your mouth. Now there's Hand gestures, there's dancing, there's other stuff. Bowing, prostrating, and so forth. There's lots of other things. But if you really want to learn how to overcome the obstacles of the enemy in your life and tamp down the, uh, his ability to, uh, to, to stop the rebuilding process, then you've got to get your voice out. You've got to lift up your voice. Read the Psalms, and everywhere it says cry out, just go ahead and cry out. Just go ahead and lift up your voice because there's something powerful that happens when that takes place. I learned years ago that when we worship the Lord, we drive back the power, the borders of the enemy. We push his ability away to have an influence upon our life. So when we come into the presence of God, let there be a voice given to your worship. Make this declaration. My approach to God in public or private will yet be bold for I have free access to Him through my Lord Jesus Christ. It is in Him I praise and through Him that I worship. So the the question for us is will I offer sacrifices to God even if I don't feel like it? Will I continue to move forward even though it seems as though It's impossible. Enter into worship. Don't let the enemy interfere with you coming into the presence of the Lord. And then the third method that is in this story is that he mocks the slowness or the pace of your progress. Will they complete it in a day? Well, of course. That's a sarcastic comment. ...because no one builds a wall like that in a day... ...although they were making good progress. It had been 90 years since the Jewish people had returned from Babylon... ...70 years since they finished the temple. Still, there's no progress in getting the wall built. And so Sanballat was pointing out the slowness or the pace of their progress... What we learn from this is that it's the same kind of mockery the enemy whispers to you and me. He says, you can talk all you want. You've tried to do this before. It's not going to work this time anyway. We've all experienced that kind of mockery either within and without. But here's the thing we need to understand today. Times are different now. Our Nehemiah has come. The Holy Spirit has come. He lives within us. It's not something that we have to do by ourselves. We're not in this battle fighting against the enemy. The Holy Spirit gives us power to overcome. In Galatians chapter 6. And verse 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That is God's promise to you. The completion may not be today, but if we continue to move forward, we will get there. Slow and steady wins the race. I wanted to tell this little story, and I'll take the time to do it. Madison Green, our granddaughter, who normally sits over here somewhere, I think she's probably in children's today. When she was about two years old, she was riding in the back seat in her car seat, and Nana and I were driving along, just not paying really any special attention to her. And all of a sudden, we hear this sweet little voice from the back seat, and she said, Slow and steady wins the race. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. Maybe she had heard it on a cartoon or maybe her mom and dad had said it. But it's always been a great story for Nana and I to share. Slow and steady wins the race. And then lastly, the fourth method that the enemy tries to use is he ridicules our building materials. Again in verse 2, Will they revive the stones from the heaps of the rubbish? Will they use the stones that are burned? When Nehemiah came with a commission from the king to rebuild the walls, he only brought timbers. So what kind of materials is he going to use? The answer is... They reclaimed, they restored, and they recovered. This is what God is able to do with our lives as well. He takes what is the rubble of our life and we give it over to him and he restores and rebuilds. This is a popular philosophy today, repurposing things. You know about that? If you watch any flip-flop houses or uh, whatever some of those other television programs are that make things happen in a half an hour, which takes a lot longer in real life. (laughs) Repurposing is a big deal. Right here in Austin, we're all about repurposing, reusing, restoring, right? Right? In fact, just out on 71, you'll go past uh, a little business there called Revival. You seen it there? Well, if you go in that yard, and really you should go in there and wander around for a while because they've got the most fantastic repurposing things in there. We went in there one time and we found this lead pot, which really is a, uh, what's the name of that thing? Uh, that you use for melting lead in Come on A smelting pot there you go <clears throat> I thought that was a fish for a moment but anyway it's a no it's a smelting pot so you you we have this tremendous thing sitting in our office which is really 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 old and it's used for melting lead We got it at the revival store We repurposed it and that's what God does with our lives as well. He takes the humiliation and the pain and the broken pieces of your life and he begins to restore it. Isaiah 58 verse 12, you'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate. And make the community livable again. This is what God is doing in our lives today. I believe that God wants to bring to us a group of people whose lives are in ruins. But we have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to help them restore. What the enemy meant for harm and destruction, God wants to use for good in your life. To rebuild, to recultivate, to replant. So God is restoring, renewing, and rebuilding in our lives. This is what Jesus came to do. Notice in Isaiah 61, verse 1 through 4 there, he says in the the latter part of that, in verse 4, he said, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. This is what God can do and will do in your life. Our part is to bring him the brokenness.